Hello everyone and welcome to the Intrepid English Podcast. My name's Lorraine and today I have a treat for you. I sat down with one of the newest teachers at Intrepid English, Eleanor, to discuss her experiences of teaching English on a cruise ship, her experience of doing the CELTA course, and what it's like to speak several languages. Eleanor has studied developmental linguistics at master's level, and she really knows her stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Intrepid English Podcast. Hi, Eleanor. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm really good, Lorraine. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. I always love to sit down with new teachers and um, pick their brains a little bit and hear all about them. So maybe you could start by introducing yourself for the listeners. Sure. So um, I'm Eleanor and I'm a new teacher here at Intrepid English and I'm very, very happy to have become part of the team uh, because uh, the environment seems really lovely. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity. I guess hi to all the students who are listening. That is so lovely to hear, Eleanor. Thank you. I think it's nice to to explain how we met. So I know you because um, one of the uh, intrepid English teachers, Tom, um, introduced us. He actually met you when you were doing your CELTA course. Yes, which was an incredible experience, I must say, um, for many different reasons. First of all, it was just so intense, like it was nine to five and I was also teaching in the evenings already. So um, pretty much like I started my day at nine and ended at maybe nine. Uh, but it was all kind of the same thing because it was all teaching related. So um, it was such a like a a full experience and uh, we had a lot of fun and also uh, we did our CELTA training just before the first lockdown uh, which obviously made it quite interesting because it was such a a full experience also being in touch with other other teachers and spending our days observing each other teaching and and then immediately going from that to being Uh, you know, like locked in our houses, uh, was quite, uh, made the experience kind of really relevant in my life. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that mad? Yeah, I can't imagine being in a room full of people now. That that sounds so alien. Yeah, so true. I think the CELTA course generally um, is is a very intense time. You're learning a lot, Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I mean, everyone has their own experience, of course, but it's yeah. often such an intense and um, fulfilling experience and everyone's so excited. <laughs> yes, it's so rewarding. And I think uh, it was Tom who said at some point, oh, we have spent a month uh, really like just observing each other um, observing each other teaching, uh, observing each other learning. Um, and I think that uh, ability to get and give feedback all the time was very precious. Absolutely. Oh, I miss Tom. He's the only Tom. intrepid English teacher who isn't actually with us now because he, he very selfishly went and got his dream job. Um, like, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we should give him a shout out. Hi, Tom. <laughs> hi, Tom. 
So the CELTA is not your first foray into English study. Um, you're, you've also done um, a bachelor's in developmental linguistics, right? Um, it was actually a master's degree. I did my bachelor's in intercultural and linguistic mediation, which is um, like a degree based on like, let's say, possible sources of intercultural conflict and how to solve them. So it was really, really interesting because um, it was the first time that I actually realized or at least started thinking um, about what are the factors that can affect uh, communication uh, between people from different cultures. And my master's was slightly different. So developmental linguistics is a psych psychology-based master's, uh, which studies how people acquire languages. So both their first language as a, you know, as a, as a kid and their second, third, fourth language. For example, I had to take modules such as bilingualism, which was fo focused on how bilingual people think differently from monolingual speakers. So it was very, very interesting to just have an observation of people's mind when they learn yeah. languages. Isn't it fascinating? Um, the psychology of learning <laughs> absolutely fascinates me. I'm studying English language and literature at the yeah. moment, and it, it's, yeah. it's coming from a very different approach, but we've had a look mm -hmm. at the psychology of learning a little bit and I can tell it's such a deep and interesting nice. area of linguistics. Absolutely and so varied there is so much that is being studied and running the experiments is quite fun as well because it is a scientific topic uh, so we have laboratories etc but at the same time the techniques to try and look into people's minds uh, are still you know quite varied and peculiar so we run lots of experiments with what was called alien language which meant uh, creating a language from scratch obviously a very simple one uh, having people learn it uh, to check how how well they did and it was wow. very fun that's so cool <laughs> and I'm particularly interested in colloquial accents and code switching as well. That's also oh, really yeah. fascinating. Mm -hmm. And we actually had this discussion in the academy um, this week, didn't we, about mm -hmm. how people think differently based on the, the language that they speak. So true. I mean, that's an area of linguistics that's studied so much because obviously it has lots of implications um, and language affects the way we think um, to a certain extent. Also culture, because obviously growing up uh, in different countries gives you a different understanding of your surroundings. Like there might be things in a country that do not exist in another country, both in terms of objects, maybe, but apparently also in terms of um, emotions. Uh, for example, there has been a study that showed that some Spanish words for emotions uh, had no direct equivalent in English, for example. Really? And so, yeah, so Spanish people may know uh, some feelings that English speakers uh, may have maybe more trouble yeah. with. Did you, have you heard of the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows? 
Oh, I haven't. This, um, it, it's so it's so heartbreakingly lovely. Um, it was mm. all the brainchild of one man who um, mm -hmm. who thought that there there wasn't enough vocabulary to describe the complex and unique feelings, the the, the myriad sorrows that that human beings Aww. experience, and it is so. Aww. fascinating it's he's done such a great job of really articulating mm. these very specific yeah. kinds of feelings they're not all sad you know some of them are, are happiness or, or just describing the yeah. human condition in some mm -hmm. way but yeah ch check it out it's it's really cool i i definitely will well i know that german is pretty good at that mm. because of its um, ability to combine different words uh, it normally manages to express things that are quite niche maybe yes. there's an example that i can contribute here um gummerspeck mm -hmm. which <laughs> is directly translated so speck could be mm -hmm. like the fat that you get on meat or it could be bacon and gummer oh. is uh, like grief okay so it's literally grief bacon uh yeah <laughs> it's sadness bacon <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely eaten sadness bacon, yes, yes. <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> yes. One fascinating fact about you is that you have worked with or for the United Nations. Uh, yes, well, I'd say for. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And at the time I was very young, so I probably didn't realize how big of a thing it was because I basically I studied two things at the same time. So while I was studying intercultural mediation and foreign languages, I uh, was also studying design, graphic design. And in a sort of magical way, these two things combined in this uh, job that I got. Uh, so I was working in the communication team of the forestry department at the FAO, which is the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. And it was my first experience working um, within an international team. And it was incredibly valuable, both because I got to know um, so many people from different cultures, but also because being in the communication team, uh, I also had to understand or really experience the fact that like communication varies so much uh, depending on different cultures and countries and that the attempt at creating sort of a standard uh, communication or just like a sort of communication that might work for everyone is really really difficult. Mm, I can't imagine how complex that would be. What a great experience to have. It was, yes. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have stayed more than the two years I've worked there, but um, those two years were quite mm. fascinating. Yes, isn't it interesting? Some of the the hardest, most challenging jobs at the time, they're so <laughs> challenging that you can't really appreciate them. But the the benefits to your character and to your expertise. Once you oh, leave, absolutely. you think, oh, I wouldn't do that again, but I'm really glad I've had <laughs> that experience. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So one of, the, uh, one of the things that I always find really interesting that a lot of the intrepid English teachers have in common is our love of travel. Um, and that's one of the things you're really passionate about as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your traveling experience? So, yeah, I absolutely love traveling and I've traveled to a lot of different countries 
and I yeah I must admit that most of the countries I've visited are visited during uh, one single trip because immediately at the end of my master's I was lucky enough to get a job as a, a language teacher on a cruise ship traveling around the world and the ship stopped in 33 different countries and I only had to teach a bit in the morning and in the afternoon and I always had days off when the ship was you know in a specific country so which meant I could visit all 33 of them the let's say bad part was that I only had one or two days per port which meant I didn't have a lot of time to really get to um, know about the culture or to explore much so I had a bit of a taster of a lot of different places which definitely encouraged me to keep a sort of list of the places where I would like to go back and explore more because as much as I like seeing places what I'm really passionate about is spending a bit of time in a, a specific environment cultural environment and learn deeply about the language, the culture, and the different habits, the different perspectives, the different ways of thinking. And that's something I, yeah, I missed a bit um, on that particular trip. In a way, even being born in Italy and then having lived in the UK now for a few years uh, has allowed me to really feel kind of a, a cultural difference, which is something that I find very um, fascinating more than uh, scary as it might sound so uh, it makes me want to do that more mm, I think we're all super eager to get back traveling again oh right yes. we, we just you know we've got a, a growing list of places that we want to visit as soon as we're free <laughs> absolutely. again absolutely yeah. absolutely mm. until then just to plug one of our <laughs> teachers uh, videos Joe has been doing a, a range of videos um, using Google Earth have you seen them it's on my list of things to watch. <laughs> it's fantastic. So Jo is also extremely nomadic. She also taught English on a cruise ship. And um, oh. she, you know, we, we are all talking about our wanderlust. And she said that um, we, we, we came up with the idea of uh, her using Google Earth to give like a guided oh. tour um, yeah. of the places that she's been. And it That's was great incredible. because she's um, she's yeah. she made presentations with the pictures Aww. of her and the people that she met and the lovely, beautiful <laughs> scenery. So she's done, um, uh, was it Guatemala was the first one. Um, Amazing. She's done uh, Iceland. Oh, I'm not mm -hmm. sure what she, what the next one will be, but they're all just wonderful. So I know whatever it will be, it will just be amazing. So, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> but it's a lovely way of just sort of satisfying that need for travel and freedom until we can get it for real, I guess. That's true. That's true. When, um, I had um, a lot of my traveling all in one period. In my early 20s, for three years, I, I backpacked uh, all over the world. And there are many oh, wow. things that I learned <laughs> and many um, skills that I developed <laughs> during that time um, that I still oh, yeah. use now. And mm -hmm. I do miss it. But also there are, there are some things you, you, you tend to glamorize them a bit. <laughs> When you th yes. you're thinking back about it, like I remember yes. spending many nights on a night bus or a night boat somewhere oh, yeah. 
um, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have to find a hostel bed for the night and uh, yeah. just not sleeping at all because I was like a bit concerned about safety and things but I wouldn't I yeah. wouldn't change it for the world and I do miss a lot of that travel now that's true mm. this is something I thought as well uh, when I was on the cruise ship because it's true that I visited a lot of different countries but at the same time at least half of my time was spent on the ship so mm. I feel I learned a lot about what it's like to live on a ship uh, mm. maybe more than I have learned what it's like to live in any specific country so like obviously when I think about it I do remember uh, glamorous parts but yeah mm. there is there is always like you know the other side of the coin so and um, you mentioned there that you were born in Italy um, and mm-hmm. I'd like to to explore this with you a little bit further because mm-hmm. it's something I'm quite passionate about um, so sure. I'll ask Absolutely. you a little bit about your your personal experience of you know being an English teacher whose native language is not necessarily English and I say necessarily mm-hmm. because you were brought up in a in a bilingual household though so, um, yeah that's true. yeah tell us a little bit about that mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I had this, uh, a Scottish nanny. Uh, and obviously, to me, I don't know, like I interacted with her in the same way as I interacted with my parents, let's say. Um, so it didn't make much of a, a difference to me to, to speak English, like as much as I could with her, and then uh, speak Italian with my parents um, and my brother. So, uh, yeah, English has been an important part of my life since um, I was very little. But then, obviously, I received formal education in Italian, but of English. So I, I took English classes at school, which made me quite aware of the grammar of the English language, for example. And I had to learn the way second language learners learn, uh, which I think has allowed me uh, to understand how I can make it easy um, for a second language learner to like access the difficulties of the English language and make it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that this gives me maybe an ability to understand how to grade content in a class, for example, because <laughs> some things that might sound incredibly easy to a native speaker require quite a lot of work for a second language learner. So uh, in a way, doing the CELTA, for example, to become an English teacher, uh, like the, the grammar part was very easy for me because I had studied all the structures mm-hmm. since I was very, very young. And maybe my difficulty was more on like uh, the the colloquial parts of language that I only acquired because I have English speaking, like the native speaker friends that have taught me uh, about all the idioms and uh, that like, you know, the expressions that people use. No, it's something that is, it's strangely controversial. Um that uh, I think it's because many mm-hmm. English language schools, they they advertise only for yeah. native English speakers to to teach English. And yeah. that is because mm-hmm. um, it's because parents of mm-hmm. children who are learning English believe that um, yeah, no, only I... native English speakers can can effectively teach their children. Right. Um, and then that kind of that misconception then. 
-hmm. has sort of spread to the the whole mm -hmm. English language teaching industry. It's incredible to me um, that that people think mm -hmm. this way. Um, I understand why they do, but it's it's incredible to yeah. me because mm -hmm. so many of the best mm -hmm. English teachers I've ever known have been um, English learners yeah. in the past, and they really carry that experience into their English yeah. lessons. It gives them empathy. It gives them a relatability. Um, it makes them approachable. Um, mm -hmm. And you know they've been there. They've they've learned the theory there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it's something that I'm quite passionate about um, and intrepid English I I want to provide students with a whole range of choice when it comes to a teacher because mm -hmm. finding a teacher is such a personal thing it's such I a personal agree. experience and I don't think it's fair <laughs> to only offer the experience of someone who mm. has English as a native language I, I want to offer our students mm, more I mean I I understand why uh, you know like that's what happens uh, for many different reasons. I think, first of all, like if you choose a teacher, you kind of want to be sure that they're incredibly competent about what they're teaching. And obviously, if you choose uh, a native speaker, you know that that competence will be there. While obviously, if you have to learn a language as a second or third language, you uh, can never be quite sure at what stage of the learning that person mm. is and obviously uh, I know I know that like a lot of uh, you know teachers that are have English as their second or third language or pretty much like almost native level but obviously it's difficult maybe to have someone who doesn't know the language themselves to make to draw the line to make mm. you know or to um, compare them so I yeah. don't necessarily blame people, but I, uh, but I, I agree with you that I, I think mm. that learning a language yourself uh, makes you quite aware of of how that language works. Yes, absolutely. When I when I completed my CELTA, which was eleven years ago now, um, my I when I started teaching, I am a native speaker, but I had no idea about grammar, right? I was just like clueless. And thank goodness I had some really great friends who were English teachers from Poland, from Germany, from all over the place, who taught me the grammar in a way that they had acquired it. They had learned it. And it was it was a real godsend to me that they were such skilled non-native English speakers, that they didn't have this. They weren't looking through the filter that a native speaker looks through, which is this is just the way it is. This is just the way it's said. Um, why? I don't know why. It's just the way it is. I mean, I know I know that it's a double-edged sword because from time to time, you know, native English speaker will will be able to rely 100% you know, with 100% confidence on the thing that they're saying because they know that that's the way it's done. Um, in a way that maybe a non-native speaker will be 95% sure that that is the way that it's done, but always have that little bit going, is it really? You know, so, but there's, you know, there's pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I also think probably another reason is because um, people are also attracted by the, the cultures that are, you know, behind certain languages and... Um, they they wish mm, to learn something yeah. about uh yeah about that culture. I completely agree. I understand um the reluctance there, but 
having a CELTA and two degrees in linguistics qualifies you and having lived in the UK mm. qualifies you. Um, yeah. But, you know, not only that, it just seems quite arbitrary when language schools put that limitation on people without being able to, to take in their particular situation you know yeah if a second language learner of English decides that they want to be a teacher of English they definitely have a passion for that uh, for example I mm. teach Italian as well and I've met some teachers who have only decided to become teachers because they knew the language but at the same time I think students should just stay assured that if a second language speaker decides to teach a language is because they they really have a passion for that topic and they've spent time trying to understand it. Another thing that I've realized the moment I started teaching is how much a good teacher is also a good teacher because they've got the right personality to be a teacher. You know, like a teacher has to be empathetic, present, understanding, and a lot of different things that are not only built by knowing the language or studying the language. Um, so I think sometimes the difference between a teacher that's a native speaker and or a non-native speaker doesn't necessarily keep that into account. I think uh, a lot of the time someone maybe slightly less skilled than someone, I'm not just, I'm not just talking about languages, but any skill, uh, but still have, you know, the ability to communicate whatever they know and I've noticed that for example um, when I studied drawing and design in the past I realized that some of my best teachers weren't necessarily the best professionals yeah oh yeah I mean that's that I say if you have to boil down a great teacher to to one um, yeah. aspect it would be passion absolutely that's true. I also think that one of the best ways um, to learn is really to just try, yeah. even when you're not sure uh, that what you're saying is 100% correct. Mm -hmm. And if you keep having negative thoughts and want to say everything mm -hmm. in a perfect way, uh, you're just going to inhibit yourself. And um, mm -hmm. that will just maybe make you a bit slower at learning. I don't know, obviously everyone is different, but I think that feeling comfortable with trying and possibly even feeling like you're embarrassing yourself a bit yeah. is, first of all, it's fun. <laughs> and second of all, is a really effective like way of learning. Quickly, yeah, of course. And essentially, language is a tool for communication, which is why, you know, it's good to know the rules and to, to, to practice the patterns and pronunciation. But at the same time, essentially, <laughs> yeah. you need to be able to communicate in that language. And that's what it's for. So, yeah, it's, it, is, it is difficult for, for English language learners to find that balance. It does take time. Yeah. So going back to one of the core values of Intrepid English, it's about being okay with where you are now and right. trying to move forward. It's this growth mindset mm -hmm. that we really try and instill in our students. Less sort of negative thought oh, yeah. patterns um, and, you know, mm -hmm. beating yourself up because you aren't as good as you want to be yet, but more about accepting where you are and moving forward towards your goal and enjoying the journey. That's that's what will make it enjoyable for you. Um. 
Yeah, I also think that, uh, you know, be- being willing to also do the the least exciting parts of something uh, can also be a sign of, of love for something because um, normally the things you're most passionate about are also those uh, in which you're ready to do uh, the hard work and maybe you don't mind that much like um, I've got friends that are you know passionate about all sorts of sports and they will spend countless hours practicing I don't know the moves or something of something or some exercises and I'm not a very sporty person so I would never do it but uh, at the same time I do it for other things when someone is motivated to learn uh, it can be nice to also get into the mindset of saying oh if I care for this ability uh, I am ready to, you know, to, to love the good parts and the bad parts. Oh, that's such a lovely way of thinking about it. I've never thought about it that way before. What a lovely thought to end our podcast on. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners? I'm just like, I really hope to see you soon. And I wish you the best of luck with your learning journey. And you have to be excited to live in a moment in time where you've got so many resources and to be in touch with such a lovely school um, with such lovely teachers really and I'm not saying this just because I'm one of these teachers I'm talking about the others Um, so really good luck and uh, just enjoy the journey thank you so much Helena it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you (laughs) thank you to you Lorraine I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Intrepid English Podcast. If you have a second, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to this on YouTube, why not subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any future videos. From everyone at Intrepid English, we hope you have a lovely day.